Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Good morning. My name is Ross. I'm your pastor here. This is the third time I'm preaching, and I didn't get fired after the first two, so we're on a good streak. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this time to come together. Uh, please put a hedge of protection and wisdom around Levi as he runs the, youth, uh, the children's ministry this morning. And I'm really excited to hear how that goes. Hopefully it goes just as well in here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so Levi asked me what he would like me to preach on in the book of Acts. And that was a really easy answer for me personally, because um, I do indeed have a favorite story from Acts, and I'm going to share that with you all this morning, uh, some things that I enjoy. This morning I learned that we cannot fit much scripture in the slides. The slide is not large enough, despite its size. So please, I would encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Uh, Phones count, although you do get less Jesus points. That's also in the Bible. And so it's, it's a larger-than-normal swath of Scripture, but God is real, and this is a gift from Him. So taking in a larger portion of the gift, I don't think, is the end of the world. Starting in verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south, to the road that goes to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So we got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace Queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? And then the eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that was being read was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip, beginning with this verse, uh, beginning with that piece of scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded his chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Here's one of my favorite parts in the entire Bible. When they came up to the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he was passing through the region. He proclaimed the good news to all the towns he came to. 
They say that the Bible is the greatest and only story ever told, and despite there being so much superhero literature around, Scripture did teleportation first. The Spirit snatched Philip away. Has that happened to anyone in here? If it has, please see me after the service. All right, my favorite, my favorite part of all of Acts. First, uh, at the beginning, if we can get that up on the screen, uh, something happens at the start of this story that happens all the time in the Bible, and it is this. An angel of the Lord came to person X, and then they had a conversation, and then a little bit into it, it becomes God himself. Uh, in the name of not doing too much Bible hopscotch, I'm not going to pull it up, but if you go back to Exodus, or if you go back to Genesis, or any, anywhere in the Old Testament, you will find this all throughout Scripture. An angel of the Lord came to Moses and said, Moses, do this, and then Moses responded. And then the next thing that is speaking to Moses is not an angel of the Lord. It, is, it just says, and the Lord said. <laughs> um, and it's important to note that this isn't just some, okay, God is now more directly speaking through the angel. Because when God is giving a message through an angel, that is explicitly told to us. Gabriel speaking to Mary. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, Mary, this is going to happen. Mary says, wait, really? And Gabriel says, yes. And the whole time, Gabriel is identified as the angel Gabriel giving Mary a message. So when that's happening, we're told. So this is something else. And the first thing that I think of is it's how God often communicates. Um, if you look back in your Christian life, I'm sure nigh everybody in here will have a story that goes like this. I think God was telling me this, and so I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then the story ends, even you yourself, you don't catch yourself saying it, but it goes from, I think God was telling me to, and God told me to do this, and I did it, and it was good. Um, that's very similar to how God speaks to me. I, I have not been blessed with hearing the audible voice of God, but by golly, <laughs> he indeed has blessed me. Um, Veronica and I, when we were thinking about coming up here to Alaska, uh, I remember praying. I'm sorry if you've heard this before. I know I've told many of you this story, but I remember praying after my internship up here. It was so amazing. I was like, God, I'm at a point in my faith. I'll go wherever you tell me. Like, it'll probably take some convincing if you want to send me to, like, Texas, because I don't enjoy the heat, but I'll go. <laughs> but if you could send me back to Alaska, I would love that so much. And indeed, Veronica and I, after I graduated college, and we were looking for jobs anywhere, we've both done a fair amount of traveling, and so location, like, was a non-factor. Anywhere in the United States, International would have been in the cards. COVID was a little bit more of a problem at that time. So we were applying to jobs in Texas and California, Christian camps all over the nation, and we were getting no's constantly. And the thing that came back was these two programs that were happening up here in Anchorage. And now I am a fool. <laughs> I am an idiot because I prayed, God, if you could please send me back to Alaska. I would love that. And then the day before our wedding, we get yeses on these jobs. And we're like, wow, this is crazy. Let's think about it. <laughs> Can you imagine being me a year ago? God, please send me to Alaska. Okay, here's the job. Great. Could I have another sign, please? <laughs> Indeed, there was one. We applied for apartments, and we applied uh, for 
not applied for. We were looking for a trailer because it costs just as much to rent a trailer to drive from Boston to Anchorage as it does to buy one. And so we would wanted to buy one, but we couldn't find one. And the day we got back from our honeymoon, the trailer at the price point was right there. And we were like, oh, great, we're doing this. And then, and then we got it right. So we set out on the Alcan, and we were worried because we actually hadn't gotten an apartment yet. We'd applied, again, to a bunch of different apartments. And then we got back on the day, the end of the day of the first day of driving. We got a call and says, hey, you got approved for this apartment. And at that point, we were already on the road, so that felt like a, more of a victory lap of a message than a spurring. But what's astounding about this piece of scripture is Philip is not as stupid as I am. Because it goes, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up toward the south, to the road that goes to Jerusalem, to Gaza. So he got up and went. <laughs> and my hope for myself in the future, and indeed for all of you, is when God gives you a message like that, please simply get up and go. But there's grace for that. You know, I didn't, I didn't follow up, but here I still am. All right. Scripture is short. We like to think of the Bible as very long, but compared to other religious texts, Scripture is extremely short and frustratingly so. So whenever an author of the Bible decides to spend time on something, it's important to look at it. And in this case, the demographic of the Ethiopian eunuch. We get a whole sentence describing this person. Right? We've gotten shorter sentences on people who, who get evangelized to in the Gospel and even in Acts. So what's the point of this? Well, first of all, Ethiopia has always been this far-off land. Again, this is, a, this is a motif, even in the Old Testament. Um, Ethiopia is sort of referred to as this place that's far away, this powerful place that's far away. And there's debate over who's the first Gentile converted in the book of Acts. Officially, it's Cornelius. Two chapters from now, the centurion Cornelius will be converted to Christianity, praise God. And scripture makes a big deal of this as part of the doors just blowing wide open to Gentiles. But the Ethiopian eunuch is, to me, sort of technically <laughs> the first Gentile converted in the, in the raw data sense that he is not Jewish. He doesn't get the credit because he's already interested in Yahweh a little bit. And this is a common thing, again, in the Old Testament. Uh, when you run a children's ministry, you'll get this question all the time. Like, what about the people before, like, Jesus came? Like, did, was anyone that wasn't Jewish, did they just not know God at all? And the answer is no. The answer is no. We get clues. We get context clues all throughout the Old Testament that God's work extends from Israel. It's the center of it. It's why that's the main point. But historically, people who weren't Jewish would come to indeed know Yahweh, and this person, this treasurer, is on that path. So, the word of God, it's Acts. The word of God is starting to slowly spread to powerful people in faraway places. And I think that this sort of preludes the conversion of Cornelius. Like, see, it's starting, it's happening. <laughs> the Acts of the Apostles, the word is going out. There's this random guy on the road. He gets converted. Now this powerful person who's much more intimate as far as geographic, uh, geographically speaking, with the Acts of the Apostles, he's going to get converted in chapter 10, and it's exploding, and more and more people get converted, and that's kind of the point of the book. So that's why I think it's so important. That's why I think the author spends a whole verse telling us about who this person is. And then the other thing that I really want to point out here 
is this sticky piece of evangelism that we, that I, sorry, always forget. <laughs> is that in any ministry you do, um, wherever you go, God is already there. And that the center of any ministry should be this. Not to go and bring Jesus to wherever you're going or to whomever you're speaking, but to find what he's already doing and ask to come alongside that. Right? That's, this is very important. Philip gets this right too, right? He gets asked, hey, I'm reading this piece of scripture. What does it say? And as Christians, we should be like doing backflips inside. It's like, this is the perfect question. And it's not, even, it's not even Genesis 40. Like a friend can come to you and go like, hey, in the book of Genesis, when it says seven cows came out of the Nile, disgusting and decrepit, and they ate seven healthy cows, what does that mean? <laughs> could, we, could we, as Philip does, starting with this piece of scripture, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. That'd be a lot harder. I think you can do it. <laughs> It'd be a lot harder of a transition. But indeed, Isaiah, this section of Isaiah is about Christ. And we can take that for granted now because, well, one, Scripture tells us it. I said this in my last sermon, but rule number one of biblical interpretation is let the Bible interpret the Bible. So whenever you're blessed with the opportunity for one piece of Scripture saying, hey, this means this, your job is done. <laughs> or at least the bulk of it's done. But for people who are so close for people who don't indeed have the book of Acts to tell them this, that's a real question. Who's Isaiah speaking about? You know, because we've, we've had other figures, like Elijah. He didn't die, and then he showed up in the transfiguration. Moses showed up in the transfiguration. There are all these kinds of martyrs, so that's a real question. It might be apparent to us that this is about Jesus, but it, is it about himself or is it about someone else? And Philip is able to indeed answer this question. So, I'm going to nerd out a little bit, because I like to. <laughs> and I'm going to bring up two very important doctrines. Doctrines are important for Christianity. It's, it's things that we've all agreed are true, and that we can't really deviate from, because we would be making a fundamental error. And the first is the hilariously named doctrine of perspicuity. And it states this, that the most important parts of the Bible are simple. It is a stupid name. People in my industry named it. I disagree with it. Uh, the name, not the doctrine. Please hear me on that. But it states this, that you do not need to know Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. You do not need to spend a ton of money on a degree to understand the fundamental things in Scripture that are necessary for salvation. The doctrine of perspicuity, perspicuous, right, the things that are necessary for salvation are perspicuous, is designed to support another doctrine, faith alone. Praise God. Faith alone is the only thing that saves. Because the natural question to the doctrine of faith alone is this. Faith in what? You can have faith in anything. And the doctrine of perspicuity states that anyone can come to the proper conclusion, that anyone can indeed answer faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. But, and this is important, it does not apply to the whole Bible. 
Every time the doctrine of perspicuity has been codified by a body or a church or a denomination, its limits have always been set. Indeed, it does not apply to the whole Bible. It started with uh, Augustine and Aquinas, and, and they sort of hinted, you know, these are early church theologians, and they were fighting people called the Gnostics. And they were a Christian cult who did not hold to the doctrine of perspicuity and believe that salvation came through secret knowledge, that indeed you have to, like, you can't just get it. You have to spend years studying scripture, and then, like, maybe you'll come upon the right answers to the certain questions, and maybe someone will guide you with this secret knowledge that will then bring about salvation in you. And so the early church fathers, we like them because unless you're studying church history, you don't hear the Gnostics anymore. They lost. The doctrine of perspicuity won. The Catholic Church loses its way a little bit. Hey, you can't interpret scripture. Only the Pope can interpret scripture or people appointed by the Pope. And you have to pay for it. And also, we're not going to give it to you in your language. We're going to give it to you in Latin because there's no point in giving it to you in your own language because you can't interpret scripture. And so Luther comes along and says, no, thank you. <laughs> and that's the history of this doctrine, and it's so important. And it supports this idea of faith alone. Faith in what? But here indeed are the limits to even the doctrine of in faith alone. It's all we need for salvation. Praise God. <laughs> but it is not all we need for Christian living. Faith is not all we need for Christian living. And ministers in the Bible ministered to audiences that did not understand this all the time. Like, Paul, should we sin that grace may abound? By no means. Or James, be, hearers of, or be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Right? And in a little bit here, we're going to be in Peter. And so Peter also ministered to people who didn't understand this. There is a starting point. This story of Philip and the eunuch is like the perfect microcosm of the starting point of faith. But there is also a natural progression that must be there. And we are told must be there. And multiple authors of the New Testament do indeed tell us this is going to happen. And so the accompanying supporting verse is 2 Peter, verse 1, 3 through 8. There we go. His divine power has given us everything needed for the life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we leave this one up here while I tell a little story? I am currently working on my Masters of Divinity so that I can steal Pastor Levi's job one day. There is a famous and infamous assignment in a class that I have not taken yet. And even though I know I'm ready for it mentally, it still chills me to the bone to do it. It is this. There is a professor 
who the main paper of the semester, this is the assignment. Pray for an unmistakable moment to share the gospel with a complete stranger this semester and write about it. Submit that paper, and it is the majority of your grade. And if you're anything like me, that's insane. <laughs> I should be able to plan out my entire semester. I'm going to do this, this, read these books at this pace, get this paper done at this pace, and bam. And of course, that's me doing that as if God isn't the one ordaining it all already. This assignment just brings you a little bit closer to that truth. Like, you better hope, you better pray. And here's the, the qualifying statement that makes this able to be an academic standard in a Christian seminary. It is this, that God cares so much more about evangelism than anyone in this room. No matter how far down this road of faith you make it, God will always care and love that stranger more so if indeed you pray for that opportunity, if we believe that what we believe is really real, it will come. And I know in my personal life, I have not prayed for that opportunity, and it's come anyway. <laughs> so, these things are yours and increasing among you. They keep you from being inefficient and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, the word knowledge. It is simple. There's other things in that list that we could really unpack that would be entire sermons by themselves. What is godliness? What are the specific cultural situations that were making Peter write about this idea of self-control? But knowledge is just that. It's not wisdom. Like, wisdom's the applied knowledge, but it's also much deeper than that, because from time to time in Scripture, it gets personified and says, wisdom was with them at creation. It's like, what's that about? We don't have to worry about that. Well, you do, but you get there eventually. Knowledge is simple, to know the book. And too many times I've been a part of small Bible studies where we come upon a question, and we throw our hands in the air and call it mystery. And I will tell you, indeed, there is mystery in Scripture. Hear me, there is mystery in Scripture. But I think we do this far too often. I think that it is a charge from our God to study Scripture and to know it. But this is freedom. It is not something that you must do to make sure that your faith sticks. It is this amazing blessing from God himself who has told us what we need to know and it is there for consuming. Something else I want to point out is that this cannot be done alone. Indeed, scripture tells us that the study of itself must be done in community. How will I know unless someone tells me, said the Ethiopian eunuch to Philip. And what if Philip were to go, well, I don't know either. <laughs> well, I've accepted Jesus Christ in my heart, but I'm not familiar with this piece of scripture, and so I'll refer you to my pastor. And that's totally fine, actually. But the goal is to not need to do that for literally the entire Bible. 
something, a question that I like to use to keep myself grounded when I get a little too deep is this. If I was Philip, if God blessed me with an opportunity like this, and you can apply this to any piece of scripture, and you're in a Bible study and you're interpreting, and let's say that you come up upon questions, good, amazing, God-fearing questions. You begin to touch upon the mystery of Scripture itself. Praise God. I would invite you to ask yourself this. And here at Awaken, we emphasize this thing called redemptive friendships. So let's say you're in a redemptive friendship, and your friend asks you about a verse. Let's say I'm in a redemptive friendship, and a friend comes along and says, Heros, I opened up to an early part of the Bible, and it said, Seven cows came out of the Nile, disgusting and decrepit. And seven more cows came up out of the Nile, plump and fat. And the seven dead cows consumed the plump and fat cows, but they had not appeared to consume anything, for they remained thin. Could I, (laughs) starting from that piece of scripture, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? I hope to get there one day. And I I think that is the aspiration. I think that is the charge. The journey of getting there is indeed the thing that I think is required and pointed out by the story of Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch. The other thing, uh, the thing with God already being somewhere, so not only is this person interested in Yahweh, so that's the work of the Spirit. Before Philip even gets there, that's the work of the Spirit. I think we can take one verse from this pericope for granted, this verse, look, there is water. Now in Anchorage, or in Alaska, there's like a trillion lake. You know how many lakes there are, Eric. Eric, how many lakes are in Alaska? There are three million named and unnamed lakes. There are three million named and unnamed lakes in Alaska. And if you look in half of the directions, you will see the ocean. So if you're in Alaska, and I say, look, there is water, you would go, what are you talking about? It's the Middle East. <laughs> Look, there is water. What is to stop me from being baptized? Indeed, God is already there. And again, they're moving, right? It's a journey. Hey, Philip, go here. The time is going to be perfect, and you're going to get this guy who's reading scripture. Then you're going to get in his chariot, and that's going to take a certain amount of time. And then you're going to go along, and in the time it takes you to explain this, he's going to come to the realization that he needs to be baptized. And right when he comes to that realization, look, there is water. God was already there. And so for me in the the youth ministry that I run in this church, that's something that I have to be very careful of. When when someone walks in, they appear to be unchurched. Now, God's already working in that person's life. I just need to, to find where that is and pray to God that I can come alongside it. One marker that you have fallen flat on your face in doing this is if you ever name your ministry after yourself. If you ever name your ministry after yourself and you broadcast that on cable television, indeed you have failed (laughs) to search for where God's ministry already is. So please don't do that. (laughs) As much money as it appears to make. Hmm. I think that's all I have. (laughs) I think I'm at the end of my notes. And I think that's a big enough challenge. But I would, I would emphasize the, the fact that we are not alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Uh, I pray that we may 
Imitate Philip as he imitated you in humbleness and in knowledge on this journey of faith. Please keep everyone safe as they go home and restful on this Sabbath. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.